So good to be here this morning, and uh, especially to be a part of uh, the church, the fellowship. Uh, your pastor, Pastor Dave and I, have uh, gotten connected through the uh, last uh, few weeks, and I've really been looking forward to being with you. And uh, I've asked Kathy to bring greetings, and uh, she's absolutely, she knows more than I do, and she's the prettiest anyway. So, Kathy? Well, thank you for letting us come today. Uh, we, we've never been here before, but uh, we're very good friends of Jim and Karen Spruce. We went to seminary with them, and I texted her this morning and told her where we are, and so I know she'll be happy to know that. I think Dave's going to share some of our uh, ministry in Africa. When we retired, we uh, looked in the Bible and didn't say anything about retirement, so we volunteered for three months in, in Africa. It turned out to be five years. And um, so he's going to share that, but let me just share something with you. We just say, great is thy faithfulness. One year ago in November, we were in Mozambique, and this man here became dreadfully ill. We were in two countries, in two hospitals, at 14 days, four days in intensive care. They finally said he has 10% chance of survival. Great is thy faithfulness. Amen. Amen. God does answer prayer, and it we actually just returned from Africa. Our friends thought we were crazy and our children knew we were. We just got back three weeks ago. They said, you'll never go to Africa again, will you? Well, we did. And uh, God is good. Uh, just so you know, so you want to ask a lot of questions, he got severe pneumonia and uh, every kind you can get all at once in a remote village. They said we got it on the airplane, so there you go. But uh, it's a real pleasure to be here today and Dave's got a wonderful story to share with you. Thank you for inviting us. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Kathy. Yeah, well, thanks. And uh, again, it's so great to be here, and I enjoyed hearing you sing. You're, you, you sing like you love the Lord, amen? And uh, I, I've never been uh, in a service where you actually import musicians from Burkina Faso. That is absolutely amazing. Uh, well done. I, that's excellent. But uh, that's one of the countries uh, we have not been to. Yeah, we, would, we were invited there and could not work it into our schedule. But I want to speak to you today about backing into the future. And I have a couple of things scripturally as a reference. I want to start with, uh, in the book of Acts, in the 13th chapter. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there, Acts 13. And we're going to share just uh, a little bit, just the first few verses, to talk about the idea of missions. And you're familiar with this. These are not new scriptures to you, but they bring in focus again what the church is about in part. And that is the missionary uh, adventure or responsibility of the church. Here's what Acts 13, just the first verse, uh, for first few verses, has to say uh, happened, at least from the church in Antioch. Years ago, not long after the establishment of the New Testament church, and this is how they function. It says, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had uh, been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, and this is the direction of the Holy Spirit, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So, after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Now, I am amazed at the spontaneity of the New Testament church. The authentic New Testament church spontaneously follows the Lord. This is a great example of that. 
We have seen how God can lead you in uh, your life in many ways. We did not in our whole life. We've been married uh, 54 years. That's 52 wonderful years. And uh, we never in our lives uh, expected that we would go to Africa. That was not on our, our radar. That was not in the plan. Uh, it was a God thing, is what I'm trying to say to you. And that's very much what this was. It, that's why this verse, I think, or these verses, kind of resonate uh, with me. Now, the key phrase I want to draw is that sentence that says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The spreading of the gospel was a team effort in a couple of ways. There were, there were a number of teams, individuals like Paul, Silas, Barnabas, and Saul here, and then Timothy, John, Mark. You remember all of those. Also, it was a team effort in that the local church, this church, Antioch, prayed, sent them out, laid hands on them. They probably continued to pray, I'm confident, and we know that there was communication uh, that came back to the local churches. We don't see that in Antioch, but we do see it in Corinthians, uh, the book of Corinthians to the church at Corinth. We see it in the book of Ephesians written to the church at Ephesus, and so on. And so there was this team effort, this relationship between those who were sent and those that uh, did the sending or that God used to bless them and send them out. Now, God led them everywhere they went. The scripture says, the spirit led us. That is an actual quote from Paul, another uh, point. They served God. They were, these people were lifers. In other words, um, as Kathleen mentioned to you, you, you don't see retired in the Bible. Now, we thought we were going to retire. And I thought, we're, but we're going to stay active in some way. Because I cannot imagine playing golf three weeks, uh, or three days a week, uh, certainly not in the rain in Washington. I, there are some who do, right? You, you love it? Golfers here this morning? Oh, no, you're golfing. That's right. Um, so you wouldn't, be, I, of course, I understand. I, I didn't think about that. So anyway, this idea of being lifers, it fits the whole of the Bible. You see it everywhere. It started with Abraham. Many people uh, maybe have not heard that Abraham was 90 years old, 90, when he learned that Sarah was expecting a child. And he was 100 when Isaac was born. And uh, uh, all of that story followed, the story of him offering Isaac and so on. There is in the Old Testament, there is a word study that, that shows this idea of backing into the future. Let me explain. In the day of Abraham, God called him. Now, when you and I think of a map, in our minds, what is at the north or the top, uh, or what is at the top of the map? I've kind of given it away. It is north, correct? Isn't that how you, you think about it? You look at a map, you draw a map uh, in your mind and in the, in the mind eye of the person who is reading it. The top of the map is the north. That was not so in Abraham's day. Let me, let me f explain that. There is a word study, it includes four Hebrew words, and they're translated different ways because the meaning is similar, or is, is dissimilar, though the words are commonly used. It's, it's like our word um, smile and mile. There's, there's one letter difference, but the meaning is different. These words are exactly the same, all four of them, but they have a different meaning. Let me describe it. See if you can see what was in the mind's eye of the ancient Near Eastern world, in, in Abraham's world. The word for before or in front, before you or in front of you, 
uh, is, the, uh, is the same word for east. The word back or behind is the same word for west. These are translated the same. The word for right is south. The word for left would be what? North. So in the ancient Near Eastern mind, what was the top of their map? Which direction would they be facing in their mind's eye? It would be east, wouldn't it? You hear that from the word study. So it makes sense because Abraham was brought uh, to follow the Lord in Ur of the Chaldees. And what did he do? He followed where God led. In his mind, east is the direction he was facing. But which direction did God take him? From Ur of the Chaldees, he went west. He went, and I won't go west very far. I've uh, fallen off a few platforms. Anyway, he went west. He followed God backwards into the future. And that's how all of us live our lives. We follow God blindly into the future. We don't know what's coming back there, do we? We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We have plans. We probably will go to work or go to school. We probably have some things we want to do in the week. But we don't know the direction God will take us. We are all backing into the future. Somebody say amen. And here's what happens. When we follow God with our hand in his backing into the future, then events come into our peripheral vision. And then we look back and we say, oh, I didn't understand back there what God was doing or why that happened to me or to my family. I didn't understand that. But then I see other things that are the result of maybe a disaster, maybe some trauma, maybe a disappointment along the way. And now I begin to see we are looking back 2020 vision because we are looking backwards into the past and following God into the future. Amen? And that's how Abraham followed God. He went from Ur of the Chaldees to the new land that God gave him. He traveled through the, floret, the, uh, the Fertile Crescent all the way to what we know today is Israel. So that idea of following God is a part of New Testament or of Old Testament thinking. And it was true certainly of Abraham, age 90 and then later 100 and so on. But it also is true that he... Um, it, it was a different world than we live in, but also Moses was, uh, was 80 years old when he was called to lead the children of Israel out of bondage. 80 years old. Do you know that he was 120 when he finally uh, led God's uh, people, his chosen people, to the Jordan River or the east side of the Jordan River and could only see Israel? You remember that story. He died, was buried, and so on. Well, our story is somewhat like that. There is a real parallel with our story. There probably is with yours, too. You probably can look back and say, I remember when this happened or that disappointment took place or I had this tragedy. I did not understand that God could bring anything good about it or good from it, but I followed him. I was faithful to him. And now I look back and I see there was an advantage. There was something, either God was building me, he was, he was uh, proving my faith to be effective. Uh, God does that. He did it with Job, as you recall. And God does not uh, test us to disprove us. He tests us to prove us. He watches us in times of change and in times that are challenged to see how we are going to follow him. 
I love the quote, the statement that says that in times of stress, God is finding out if we are the ones on whom God can rely. He is finding out if we are the ones on whom he can rely. He can trust in us. Well, here's our story. It follows that. There's a parallel. We were approaching official retirement, and we wanted to, uh, one day Kathy just said, what if we gave some time to mission somewhere? Sounds innocent enough, right? And so we said, let's, uh, let's find out what's available. And as it turned out, there was a four-month teaching position for both, uh, bo- both her and I, er, me, in Johannesburg, South Africa. So we packed up our duds, and we took off for this just brief four months. And that was it, and this was going to be so much fun. Then we're back home and uh, on to other stuff, spending time with the grandkids, etc., Interestingly enough, now let me tell you, Africa is massive. Africa is huge. It is three and a half times bigger than the United States. You could put the United States into Africa three and a half times. And the Church of the Nazarene has grown dramatically. We praise God. It is so humbling to be a part of the Church of the Nazarene. And your missions dollars, I can tell you, I promise you, God is making a difference. Let me just give you one example of the growth in the church there. The Church of the Nazarene has grown by 132% in 10 years. Ladies and gentlemen, that means that it has more than doubled in the last decade. It's two times bigger, little, actually more than two times bigger than it was a decade ago. That is a blessing to, be, to me to know that my world mission dollars are making a difference. And our missionaries, God is blessing and the missionaries are being effective. There are thousands of new believers, uh, literally thousands. And so the crying need is that they would be discipled and that they would become mature in their faith. They will often, um, new Christians even, will sometimes uh, consult the ancestors when they make a decision. Um, We don't do that. We know Jesus is the one we consult when we make a decision as a Christian. Or they will go to the Shongon, we would say the uh, witch doctor. They will go to him to get advice and to get counsel. We we know that you ought to go to the Lord. Amen? Oh, you're not sure. Uh, We should. I'll just explain. Okay. Anyway, so here's a chain of events and how God led us this backing into the future. Um, Kathy and I spoke. uh, She has uh, spoken uh, around the world uh, for women's ministries for years. And so they asked her to speak to women's ministries. I had been written a book or two about uh, small groups. And so I spoke about small groups at PALCON, the Pastors and Leaders Conference, much like we have in the United States. And uh, I didn't know this was going on. Kathy and I had no idea. But sitting in the congregation was a missionary, and next to him was Dr. Philly Chambo, who is now general superintendent, but then was in charge of the whole of the continent of Africa. And Dr. Chambo leaned over to our missionary friend, uh, and he said uh, to, uh, some of you may even know, Colin Shireen Elliott, and he said to Colin, we have got to have this in Africa. What he was talking about is making Christ-centered followers, helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ using small groups as the method for that. I heard that you're signing up small groups. I want to tell you that this is absolutely excellent because it helps a church not stand still. 
It helps all of us grow. It stretches us to be in a place where we are sharing of our own lives. And if we don't, we feel like we're comfortable where we are. But then God is using us to help somebody else. And you can have a ministry in your own neighborhood with a small group like you have here. So congratulations. I, I couldn't agree more. Dr. Shambo brought us into his office. He said, um, I, we thought we were in trouble maybe. Maybe, uh, you know, uh, maybe a faux pas of some kind. And uh, we'd spoken to um, oh, different places. The, the students, we taught for those four months. We spoke to the students um, at, in Soweto. And I'll tell you, that was a case where on a drizzly, a terribly stormy Saturday night, I spoke to 35 kids. This is a picture of them in small groups. I wanted to find out. I've done this in the United States, many places all over the country, but I wanted to find out, is this going to work with teenagers in Africa? And let me tell you, they loved it. That night, ladies and gentlemen, there were three students. They had brought new friends. All three of them were Muslim students. A year later, when we were back, I talked to the youth pastor of that group, that small group, and I said, how are those students doing? He said, well, one of them uh, did not continue coming, but the other two came, and they accepted the Lord, and they have joined our church. And it was because of small groups that those teenagers witnessed the, the, the idea of getting better acquainted and so on. And sometimes I felt like I don't need the small groups, but I realize other people do. And so it's not just, small groups are not just about me being fed, they're about me serving and helping and encouraging or nurturing somebody else using the, the experience, the advantage of my experience to encourage somebody else along the way. Well, there was a chain of events in that uh, we went to Dr. Chambo's office, we thought maybe we had kind of messed up culturally, offended somebody, you know, it was like going to the principal's office. Okay, and uh, Kathy and I talked about that, and he said, no, 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 not at all. He said, I want you to know that God has laid this ministry on our heart, and we want to partner with you for five years. It turned out to be six, but we want to partner with you for five years, and we're asking you to be available to the leaders of Africa to train small group leaders. We didn't know that was coming. It was no problem for us to say, okay, we thought about it, prayed about it. It was clear that's what God wanted us to do. And so here we are, retired people, quote unquote, now with a five-year assignment. So um, we, in that next uh, number of years, four to five years, we trained, we traveled all over Africa. We trained in 16 countries. We uh, trained 5,300 pastors and, pastors and district superintendents and lay leaders in developing healthy small groups. Uh, not just people getting together and sitting and talking, visiting, but groups that disciple them or help them grow spiritually, grow in grace and knowledge, as the Bible teaches. We have trained 3,500 district superintendents and so on, preached about uh, 3,500 times. I'm tired, to be honest with you, but anyway. And one of the most powerful pastors we met was in Zimbabwe. His name is uh, Pastor Hafisi Mutatu. Sounds like a song, doesn't it? Or sounds like maybe, uh, I don't know, it could be in the Lion movie or whatever. Anyway, Hofisi Mutatu is in Harare, Zimbabwe. And the, the church there gripped our hearts. It literally, it, 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 it just, we saw the dedication of the people. Let me tell you about this church. It's Highland Church of the Nazarene in Harare, the capital city of uh, Zimbabwe. 
20 years ago, there were six people in this congregation, the pastor, his wife, one or two of their kids, I think maybe just one, but uh, then uh, two or three other people, that was it. But God has blessed, they've worked very hard. Today, they have six congregations. Three of those congregations became fully supporting churches this year, this past year. A remarkable, dedicated pastor and has been drawn, those churches have been drawn to care for the orphanage. Now, here's the situation in Zimbabwe. Uh, because of the corruption in the government, a country that 12 years ago was the breadbasket of Africa has deteriorated. And to this day, or on this day, there is a 90% unemployment rec uh, level. 90% of the people are unemployed. They make their own living. They, they live from hand to mouth. They'll raise a garden. They'll raise chickens, maybe pigs, and they'll sell them, getting enough money for dinner that night, and then they go to bed, get up the next morning, do the same thing. It is uh, difficult, to say the least. It's like the church in Macedonia that had virtually nothing. Very, very little. And remember, Paul wrote to another church and he said, you gave out of your desperate situation. You gave, you, you, uh, you gave far beyond. You had nothing. And yet you still were pouring it into God's work. It's very, very commendable. Well, a, uh, one option they had, they had a house. The church board was going to change that house, uh, fix it up. Uh, we've stayed with uh, Pastor Mutatu and his wife Irene, and um, they have no, um, there's no inside plumbing. They have uh, no hot water. Uh, electricity is off 12 hours a day. And in the middle of that, God has been blessing the church and multiplying, and they have been reaching new people for Christ. So the, the idea is that, that they, um, in this situation, uh, the idea is that they have been, through dedication and through prayer and through their obedience, that they have now these seven uh, churches total, and they were drawn, rather than build or rebuild a house for the pastor to live in, he said, no, let's make an orphanage. There are literally children who are on the streets whose parents maybe have died because of AIDS or, or, or abandoned them, and they're literally living in the gutter. They're literally sleeping alongside the street. And his heart went out to them, and as a result, they rebuilt this house, and they started a little orphanage. Uh, a fella, not, uh, not somebody that they, in their church, but he heard about the situation. He had a house with four acres on it. He said, um, what if I uh, gave you that house? What would you do? And Ephesi said, we would start another orphanage. So he gave them the house to the Church of the Nazarene. A year later, they saw that it was effective. He was doing what he promised to do, and the man said to him, I have another house with six acres on it. What would you do if I gave you that? And Ephesi and said, we'd start another orphanage. Now there are three. And finally, a man uh, said to him, uh, we have a farm we want to give to the church. We don't want the government to take it. We want to give it to, the, to God's work. What would you do? Ephesi went and looked it over. He said to the man, he said, I don't see any fences. He said, I, how big is this farm? And the man said, it's 1,000 acres, and I'd like to give it to the Church of the Nazarene. And he said, uh, if you'll make an orphanage. Alfisi said, we will. They built an orphanage. Then they built a 25-meter-long chicken run. Then they built a 
meter long chicken run. Now they built a 35 meter long chicken run. They have three of them. He sells all the eggs they want to because he sells them for one penny less than anybody else in town. And uh, this is a way for it to become self-supporting, self-sufficient. The man on the, with this thousand acre farm said, um, oh, I want you to take a little tour of the, car, of the farm, okay? Here it is. Welcome to Goshen Farm and the Orphanage in Harare, Zimbabwe. It's just a, a little, this is a guided tour. All of the little uh, orphanages, orphanage homes have a garden like this, so they're teaching children how to care for things. There are 30 head of cattle on the farm. And uh, there's another part of the story on that, I'll tell you. But these are actual pictures of that 1,000-acre farm. This is, these are the chicken runs I mentioned to you just a moment ago. These are the chicks who live in the chicken run. Uh, they get them by the thousands and raise them, and then they sell them for chicken uh, for food as well. This, these are some pretty dilapidated buildings. They have started a school. There are 60 children in the school. And uh, these are just some of the pictures of the kids uh, that we took uh, on our second visit there, I guess it was. And uh, you are amazed at the dedication they each. Uh, two grades have a teacher, and there's a little place for the kids to play. Uh, this is um, Goshen Farm. He named it that because he said, I wanted them to have plenty. I wanted them to have all the food and all of the resources they need. They built three little houses you can just barely see through the trees there. These are thatched roof houses that they built themselves. The local church built this, uh, built them. So there are now 33 uh, children out there in these little houses. And uh, our, God kind of dealt with, our heart, with us in our hearts about it. And they ministered uh, because of the ones there at the farm and the ones in town to over 70 children all the time. And um, when, you, when you take a tour, uh, you, you begin to realize these people have nothing. Uh, they have very, very little. By our standards, we would, every single one of us, if all you have is a bicycle and a coat, you're richer than they are. The average uh, income is uh, somewhere around um, uh, $30 uh, a month total. So we got to thinking, wait a minute, we have way more than they do. We can help them. We can serve them and assist them in this ministry. So... We met with Pastor Mutatu, met with our church board in Liberty Bible in Vancouver, where we're members, and we raised together. We decided we're going to do a work and witness trip. We raised $9,000 from our church another, between two other churches. They raised an additional $13,500, and we sent that all. And the church there got started with the house. But because the, house, the houses have the thatched roofs, some of the houses in farms nearby were destroyed by fire. Fortunately, none of the three that you just saw were destroyed. But the government has now said you must build a permanent home. It must be bricks. It has to be a tin roof, you see, for the safety of the children. So uh, this is the plan of the house. And uh, in fact, we've got two or three pictures, I think, of the, of the plan. It's a four-bedroom home, and so that they can hold another uh, 12 children in there. And this is a picture at Portland Airport of our team with 19 members of the team and uh, 38 
wonderful pieces of luggage. Uh, we were able to take 19 uh, pieces of luggage full of things to take with us, our second bag, and uh, leave there. We, um, uh, the, here's the story. Um, the, we needed restrooms inside the building. We needed, uh, the, each of them are led by two full-time moms who, who serve the children. Um, and the, the team members, while we were there, led 180 children in a three-day vacation Bible school. Uh, uh, we, one of our families said, this is a pack, actually a picture of the Vacation Bible School. One of our families said, we've heard about the shoe that grows. We know that kids, when you give them shoes, they're going to grow out of them. Then you have to give them more shoes. So what if we raised enough money, $15 a pair, to buy shoes that grow? And they did. That couple, by themselves, raised enough money to buy 80 pair of shoes. And we took shoes that grow for them. And then while I was there, uh, we were there, I trained 110 pastors. Oh, there's the shoes that grow. And uh, we trained 110 pastors in how to start small groups. And these are pastors in many different denominations. Now, there was also an optometrist with us. We had given money for glasses. Uh, bought a, uh, actually, $1,000 would buy uh, about 2,000 pair of glasses. He had already been to... Uh, 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 Ghana and already passed them out. When we were, when he was doing the uh, ec the evaluation or the examination of the eyes and giving glasses, we gave over 500 pair of glasses just in that two-week time. And a farmer nearby, about four miles away, came and said one day he drove over and he said, I, he said, I want to tell you how much I appreciate what you're doing. And we had never met this man. He had never been on the farm. He just knew where it was. Some of his workers had come. They had been examined. They had been given glasses. He said, I want to thank you for what you've done. And my workers now, for the first time, they can read, follow instructions, directions, anything written down uh, about, uh, he has 300 workers at a large farm. He raises Brahma bulls. Well, I want to show you a picture of a Brahma bull. Now, that's me hugging one. And believe it or not, these are docile. They're, they're very calm. The only Brahma bull I ever heard about was in the rodeos, right? Where they're kicking people and throwing them off their backs and so on. But these guys were trained to be uh, mild-mannered, and they are. They'll walk right up to you, lift their head so you can scratch their neck. They love it. And so here I figure if I have a chance to be a friend with a bomber bull, I don't want to be an enemy, so I'm going to be a friend. And that's what happened. Now, that guy said, that farmer, said, um, uh, I want you to see my farm. He took us over there. Uh, lovely couple. Uh, there have been the loss of 50,000 cattle in Zimbabwe due to an infestation. We lost at the farm, we used to have 55, now we only have 30. We lost at least 30 head of cattle. Uh, because if they have the cattle and they can, they can sustain the farm as long as the herd is healthy. He did not lose one single cow or bull during that whole uh, infestation. He said, um, uh, we, the, the team talked about it. We said, we've got a few dollars left. I uh, wonder what it would cost. See, one of the things that happened at the farm, the bull died for the, the whole herd, which is kind of the future of the herd. So um, he said, we said, what would happen if we bought a bull? The one I am hugging there is the grandson of the number one best bull in all of America. 
And uh, he, the farmer, was offered $10,000 for that bull when it's only one year old. Now, I'm not a cow guy. I, I just, in fact, cowboy. That's what you're supposed to say. Okay, I'm not a cowboy. You can tell how uncowish I am. But our pastor loves cows. I mean, he raises them. He's trying to get his kids through college at NNU that way. Uh, it's a great idea. And he loved this. And he said, or our team said, what if we, we only have $1,500. What if we saw if we could possibly buy a bull? We gave it to the farmer. The pastor presented it. And the farmer said, yeah, we'll do that. We'll give you a bull. And it'll be ready to have calves in, or not calves, but ready to, uh, what a, you know, uh, anyway, uh, in another two or three, uh, did I walk into a dead end? I did, in that sentence, didn't I? Okay. But he, he will, uh, he'll be ready to uh, join the herd in two months. So the farmer is keeping it. All of that to say, number one, if we hadn't been willing to listen to the Lord. As old timers, and I'm old enough, I think I have the right to say that. You must listen to the Lord and you must be willing to serve the Lord at any place, any time in life. And everybody said amen. Okay, almost everybody. Uh, but anyway, the whole idea is that if, you're, if we were not willing, we could have not been there. If we were not there, we could not have taken a team. You see, we're backing into the future. If we had not taken the team, the optometrist would never have gone there and passed out glasses, meeting the workers at, the, 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 at this farm. And the bargain bull that was a, we, could, we bought while we were there, that, none of that could have happened. Now we're raising money for the fencing because the herd has to be kept healthy. If they wander into other areas where there are other herds that are infested, doesn't matter if they're healthy or not, they're going to get infested too. And the whole objective is to make it sustainable so that in a couple of years, then that orphanage will be able to be self-supporting, self all by itself. The, the, the church won't have to pour money into it and so on. So please pray. Please pray for our return. We need to finish uh, some of the things. There is a school that needs to have a building finished. And when they do that, then they'll be able to do testing. And that lets them become state certified or qualified as a, as a, as a, as a full-fledged school. Pray for Zimbabwe. 90% unemployment rate. Uh, corrupt government. Um, desperate situation. Our first time there, there was only one street light that worked. They do what's called load sharing, so 12 hours every day you're without electricity of any kind. It's a very difficult situation, you can understand. But if you just pray for the church there, and just as God brings it to your mind, you don't have to commit to pray two hours every day for a month or something, but just if God brings it to your mind, will you be willing to pray? Will you do that? And say, as the Lord reminds me, I will be happy to pray for Zimbabwe and for Pastor Mutatu. Um, also pray for him and for Irene for the strength to continue. Their son uh, has his master's and uh, he is doing work study now. And then when he is done, he's going to come back and manage everything. Irene, with six orphanages and, a, and, and five, six churches, is still doing all the books by hand, if you can imagine. So their son is going to be able to get it on Excel or whatever to make it happen. So pray for those things if you would. Um, also uh, pray that there will be lasting results. Uh, it's, it's one, my major professor, uh, when I was doing doctoral work at, at, uh, in, in uh, Fuller, 
uh, he said, our objective, gentlemen, uh, this is a, past, a class full of pastors. He said, our task is not to get people saved. And the guys looked at each other. What is he thinking? And he said, let me explain. You can get them to make a confession, but until they get to heaven, our job's not done. We have to help people grow in grace and knowledge and when they do that and they become mature and they become, they're, they're, they're solid enough. You know, changes happen. I heard about your youth pastor. Changes happen. But when people are faithful and when they learn to be true, things come and go. Changes happen. But God can count on his people. And when he does, God blesses the church and the church flourishes. The church grows. The church develops and becomes more mature. And others see that and that's inspiring to them. They see faithfulness in the midst of change or challenging times. And it's, it's a blessing to them. Well, please pray for the return as I mentioned. Uh, there are a couple of other notes, safe travels. Uh, we go back probably next summer. Effective ministry, lasting results, those things that I've just mentioned. And I want to tell you, leave you with this. The kids, I don't know if we have the sound on, but they say, thank you. Ah, you heard that? They say, thank you. Um, these are some of the kids on our second trip there who we had given uh, these sports shirts to. And uh, they, just, they just thought that was, you'd think you gave them a new bicycle. You give them a shirt, you know, it's just that exciting to them. Thank you for all you're doing in world missions. And I don't know a lot about your church, but our friends over the years have bragged on you. And it's great to be here. But thank you for the chance to share not only about missions, but about the power of making disciples. Um, what you're doing with your small groups is so exciting, so important. If you've never tried it, give it a shot. Give it a try for a year. Uh, I promise you, you'll end up getting hooked. Uh, it's one of those things where you don't know you need it until you do it, and then you think, man, I don't know how I was as happy as I am now without it. But anyway, God bless you in your ministry. Would you pray with me about these things and other things? And uh, let's, let's join our hearts together. I appreciate so much your prayers. Father, we are grateful for what our hearts have sensed as we worshiped you today, as we were singing praises to you. We sang, great is your faithfulness, and you are faithful. We praise you. We are thankful for that. And we ask God in Jesus' name that you would bless this church. Bless Centralia Nazarene. We pray, God, that your hand would be on the church. Lead the board. Lead the pastor. Thank you so much for Pastor David for his time to be uh, a way to be refreshed and renewed. Father, I thank you for the church that sees the value of that. And I pray, God, that you would bless them for uh, building their pastor, giving him time to be renewed spiritually and mentally, emotionally. And we ask that your hand would be on the church. We pray, too, for this orphanage, or these orphanages, and for the churches in Zimbabwe, or everywhere throughout other world areas. We are so privileged, so blessed to have what we have, to uh, have the gospel, to have the freedom to worship. We don't have this in many parts of the world. And so we give you praise for that. We are humbled to realize how blessed we really are. I ask your hand on the small groups as they develop. Pray, God, that you would just reach out from this church and touch lives that are hurting uh, in this city, lives who, that need you. We ask your anointing upon them in the strong name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you.